I'm over here now. Pardon the interruption, no need for introduction. It's the drunken monk. Turn this shit up a little something. I'm bucking, up in smoke, sipping Bacardi till I'm giving my car keys to Jimmy Ferrari. And we out, about to go jump in a mosh pit full of hundreds of hot chicks saying something obnoxious like, I gotta put my foot in your ass permit. When I'm done, I'll cook you in a Brooklyn blast furnace. What is the secret Dwayne is hiding in the basket? What's in the basket? Easter eggs? What's in the basket? Clothes. What's in the basket? Nothing. What's in the basket? My brother. What's in the basket? Open it, if you dare. Basket case. This is a bonus mini episode of the Brooklyn Blast Runners podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Generation Records. Go to generationrecords.com and follow them on Instagram at Generation Records. It's also sponsored by New Republic Printing. Go to newrepublicprinting.net and follow them on Instagram at New Republic Printing. And with that, I am over here now at the Merchant Square Mall in Allentown, Pennsylvania at the horror sideshow market brought to you by Ryan who does the New Jersey Horrorcon and uh, I'm sitting here with a gentleman that if I would have went back to I'm going to say I know the movie came out in 81 correct? 82 I probably saw it for the first time in like 83 84 so I was like 8 or 9 renting it from the video store and fast forward I would never think that I would be sitting here with this man in 2020 talking about this movie that I love and grew up on, my newfound friend, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna attempt it, but I don't think I'm gonna butcher it, <laughs> my friend, Kevin Hentenrick. Van Hentenrick. Van Hentenrick. See, I was concentrating on the bu at the end. <laughs> Known as Dwayne Bradley from the Basket Case Trilogy and also Brain Damage. Ken, Kevin, how you doing? I'm fantastic. Awesome. Brooklyn Blast Furnace. Yeah, that would be oh, me. Right. Silly. Where does the name come from? I wish I had an amazing story for you, but I will tell you exactly where it came from. Um, it, it started out as a joke. I have a friend of mine who's a tattoo artist, and he was looking to buy, like, a little kitten. And he wanted to name it, like, an ironic, stupid name. Like, name it, like, Killer or whatever. Because it's this little, tiny, little, tiny, little thing. So for some weird reason, I have no idea where it came from deep in my head. But I was like, you should name that thing Blast Furnace. I don't know why, and then he was like, yo, that's the craziest name ever. I don't know if he named the cat that, but then years later, or a couple years later, I started booking, like, hardcore shows and music gigs and stuff, and I needed, like, I guess, like, a production name. I didn't want to make it, like, Jimmy Ferrari Productions. I wanted to name it something, like, half silly. 
So it was Blast Furnace Productions. And then I stopped booking shows. I wanted to do a podcast. So I didn't want to just completely drop it, but I wanted to change it. So it's I added the Brooklyn, so it's the Brooklyn Blast Furnace. <laughs> All named after a stupid thing that I came up with for a dumb little kitten or something. I don't know. I wish I had a better story, but that's the evolution of, the, of this crazy-sounding name from a kitten. <laughs> you know, up in the mountains where I live, yes, in Rosendale, which was the home of cement production in the 1800s, right? They have the remnants of actual blast furnaces. Really, you can look at. That's and crazy. There's mines there. That's and one awesome. of them is called the Widow Jane Mines, where they have bands play. Really, in the mines. Where is this? It's in Rosendale. And how far upstate is that? Um, from Brooklyn, an hour and a half. Okay, oh, so it's not that far up. Yep. Widow Jane Mine. Really? Yeah. I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah, it's cool. And there's, there's one spot where one of the, because they used to mine the lime right. to make cement. And there's one spot where there's still a huge opening for one of the tunnels. Okay. And when you drive by, you can feel the cold air coming really? out of that. Cold air. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Joplinburg Mountains. So now, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but I'm guessing you know about this kind of stuff because of the stuff that you do now. You're a sculptor. The sculpture, yeah. So you know about rocks and lime and... Yeah, rocks have always interested me. Okay, well, that's that's interesting to hear because I don't know anybody who really... Uh, see? Yeah, see? <laughs> um, yeah, so if you don't mind, like, like tell... Because this I, material, what the Catskill Mountains is made out of is called bluestone. Okay. Which is a generic term for really a blue-gray sandstone. Okay. This material is 360 million years old. That's insane. And the things, even the, the little scratches that the, the students at the class make yeah. can last thousands of years outdoors. Really? It's a very durable material. Still, with all of our technology yeah. and all of our industry, if you want it to last, you put it in stone. That's crazy. It's, in, it's incredible because we're, fa- we're friends on Facebook and I was looking for pictures like to make the flyer and stuff and whatever. And I came across your sculpture albums on there and I was like, this is, this is incredible. Like, Rip Van Winkle life-size bluestone. Like, I, don't, I mean, I can't really tell. So how big is this actual sculpture? He's life-size. His frame He's is based life-size. on me, so he would be six feet tall if he stood up. The block that he's carved from was eight tons when we started. Really? About the size of, uh, like, a Volkswagen Beetle. Really? So now, listen, go to... Go to well, you have a web, do you have a website? I do have a website. So, so they can actually see what we're talking about. Yep, here. yep. It's www.kevinvanh.com. Kevinvanh.com. Yeah, because obviously it's not a visual. It's not a visual podcast, but yeah. Oh, beautiful. Kevinvanh.com. This is, how did you get into, like, were you just interested in this, like, as a kid? Or, like, was just... You know, my father told a story when I was five. I brought a piece of bark from a tree to him and said, look, there's a face. And he didn't see it. Right. So I went away and did something, either colored it with crayons or I don't know what, and then I brought it back to him. And apparently he carried that in his work 
his uh, uh, toolbox for years. Oh, that's awesome. But the main thing, I was in New York studying acting at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Okay. And a uh, girl I was seeing, and I went up to the little Carnegie Hall cinema, which used to be around the corner from Carnegie Hall. And they, okay. they showed art films, like old uh, Fellini and Ingmar Bergman films. Okay. And we saw an old Ken Russell film called The Savage Messiah, which is about an actual carver, Henri Gautier, who lived at the time of World War One. Wow. And it's classic Ken Russell in that it's a little over the top. But in the course of the film, they showed a close-up of a real carver's hands working a block of marble. And it was so turned on to and by the idea of a rock as a plastic medium. That was pretty much it for me. So around the, the... The Academy was on Madison between 30th and 31st. On 30th, between Madison and Park, was the Sculpture House, which was a sculpture supply place. Right. So I started, like, walking back and forth in front and looking in and trying to figure it out, yeah. which, of course, didn't work. So then I would, after a while, I worked at my door, but I would walk in and walk around a little bit and then walk out. Right. Finally, when I had worked up what I was hoping was enough nerve and had saved up enough cash... I went in and I tortured some poor sales girl with every question I could imagine. I bought a hammer and three basic chisels. I went and found a rock in the East Village and uh, set up a workbench under what is now called the High Line. Okay. 30th and 11th. Okay. In those days, it was a completely abandoned neighborhood oh, in the evening and on the weekend, except yeah. for the girls on 11th Avenue. Right. Of so, <laughs> um, Good old, old New York. So I set up a workbench under there so I could be out of the rain. And the first moment that I touched steel to stone, I had an epiphany, a realization that this was what I was meant to do. That's awesome. That I had angels flying around my head, guiding my hands. Really? And that moment powers me to today. That's awesome. You're very fortunate because a lot of people in life don't ever have that quote-unquote calling of what they really are meant to do. Exactly. Because our culture doesn't value this. No. Because the corporatists can't make money off of this. Correct. It's true. And why should they control everything? Right. It's true. I agree. I agree. Uh, The worst thing they have done is convince people that rather than living a life, it's about making a living. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Which has, the corporate model has nothing to do with real life. Right. Yeah. This is, this is real life. Look at the variety of humanity. Right. See it. And everyone's, everyone is coexisting and on the same level. There's no issues. There's no nothing. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And that's why, um, we constantly come to these things. Like, hard people like, oh, you go to hard events? Yeah, but... If you never went and you're not into it, then fine, like you're missing out. But we go to these things all the time. Every single creed, every shape, size, color, ethnic background, whatever it is, there's I have not I've gone to dozens and dozens and dozens of them and there has not been not one. Not one fight. I haven't seen no issues. Yeah, people are friendly. People say, Hey, how you doing? You know? Yeah man. Because we're all here for the same reason. Right. You know? yeah. The competition 
aspect is eliminated. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. So now, let's rewind the tape for a little bit because I have to talk to you about especially the first basket case. All right. I was just telling my girlfriend on the way here. I used to... I come, I come from, like, hardly anything as a little kid. You know, but divorced parents is that I lived with my real father. It wasn't a really good situation. But I would literally return cans and bottles, right? To, like, you know, to, to get maybe something to eat or whatever. But I would be like, I'm not going to get something to eat. I think I would probably get in trouble because... I've seen it so many times, but I would be like, you know what? I'm not going to get that little bagel or whatever. I'm going to Rockaway Video, <laughs> and I'm going to rent basket case for two dollars and seventy-one cents. It was two seventy-one yeah. for forty-one for two, and I would watch it like twice in a row, and then go return it. Before my father came home from work, because he'd be like, you wasted your money on something that you've seen 50 times, you should have gotten something to eat. <laughs> but I remember as a kid watching this movie so many times. So like I said in the beginning of this, to be sit, sit down and to have a conversation with Dwayne Bradley, it's kind of crazy. I'm honored, man. Thank no, it's, it's crazy because I'm 44 now. And it's been so much time, and so much, and decades have passed... And you're right here with Belial in a fucking basket. You know what I mean? Yep. So, Ken, like, how did you get that role? Like, like, can you tell? You don't have to get so into it. Cause I'm sure it's smoking. No, around. it's a it's a funny story. Um, I, as I said, I was working with fucking crazy Hanelada and all this. <laughs> Frank is a genius. He's, he, dude. Yeah. Frank and Hooker. It's 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 yeah. If you remind me, I'll tell you a great Frank story okay. afterwards. But so okay. I was studying acting at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Right. So I was going out with Ilsa, who was the assistant registrar. Okay. The registrar was Ruth Newman, who played our aunt in the film. Okay. And Ilsa plays the social worker with the glasses. Yes. Yes. So I know that movie inside out, upside down, and backwards. She uh, she says to me one day, "I know this guy that makes movies. You should meet him." I said, "All right." So I met him, and he seemed to like me. Frank Hennelon. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So uh, he he put me in three extra parts in the film right before Basket Case. Which was? Slash of the Knife. i never seen that. It's on one of the most recent releases. Okay. I'm not sure if it's the Arrow one or the one after that. Okay. But they put it, they included it, finally released it. He wouldn't for years. Right. So anyways, I play a tall woman at a wedding. Do you? A, yep. <laughs> An inmate in a mental institution. And something to do with railroad tracks. I don't remember that okay. very well. Okay. But I was always on his case, you know, use student actors, you know, you'll get better results and we need the exposure, blah, blah. Yeah. So, I don't know, six or eight months later, he calls me up and he says, I have this idea for a movie. And he tells me, basket case over the phone. This premise. Uh, you want, are you interested? I said, I'm there. Yeah. Done. Done. I have a parasitic twin on my <laughs> side and gets removed and he's not too happy about that, but you can fucking tell it. Well, for an actor, the, the interesting part of it is they consider themselves one. 
Right. Who are cut in half. Correct. So for an actor, that's that's really cool because you get to play the, the brother as well. Right. Which And I spent a lot of time on that, in inhabiting both brother and the basket yes. with the presence, yeah. you know, and they have this constant dialogue going on that you can't hear. Yeah. And so I worked on that quite a bit. Yeah. That's, that's how I got the part. That's crazy. And, and I'm sure, I mean, I can't speak for you, but did you think that you would be here how many years later? While you were on that set, you didn't have the foresight to think anything would ever come about, did you? I mean, and then we, two sequels? After it was filmed. So crazy. He, uh, as a matter of fact, while we were filming, yeah. we had no money. Okay. Shot on 16 and blown up to 35. Right. Um, they would buy short ends, which is a discount way to buy 16-millimeter film. Okay. And what he would do is we'd film a few scenes... We'd run out of money, so he'd do like a rough assemblage of what we had so far. Yeah. He'd show that to people, he'd get some more money, we'd film some more, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. Yeah. We'd, we'd spend a year filming. Really? Part-time, whenever we had time. Yeah. The set, which was one room in the hallway, was built in Uji's law. Yeah. Uji was Ilsa's ex. Okay. Um, he was amazingly generous in letting us take over his loft yeah. for a year. Now, it, it, when you walked into the into the front desk at the Hotel Roseland, was that legitimately a freight elevator? Yes, it was. It was a freight I elevator. I think Franklin Street. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And you had a, you had a loft not too far from there, where where you were being hung by Belial off of your own terrace. Yes. Which I found that location and did my whole little yep, my yep. little mix-up mash together. Yep. That's incredible. Now, I don't know if it's true, but obviously you're the man to ask, but when you check into the hotel, do you have a knot of money on you? Yes. Was that legitimately the whole budget for the film? You know, I, I don't know that for sure. But have you Frank, heard that before? Frank and Edgar have always said that. Oh, okay. That's all the money they could scrape together, so that was that. So the entire money, all the money for the movie is in your hand yeah. when you go into that hotel. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff, man. And we, we, when we did the shots in Times Square, yes. we had people come out of doorways and threaten us. Really? Yeah, they didn't want to be filmed at all. Oh, that was, well, that we're that was sketchy. Well, you, well that, when were you filming? It came out in 82, so you were filming, what, 81? 79 to 80. Oh, okay. And then they spent the, the remainder of that time uh, putting it together and then trying to find a distributor and all right. the business part. So, you're talking 1979, 1980, Times Square, New York City is absolutely a completely different world than what we have now. Yeah, that was the real deal. That was the real deal. <laughs> That's awesome. And then, obviously, I mean... The first one did well, and it spawned two sequels. Well, for years, Frank said, no sequels. Right. Are we going to have a fourth twin or, right. you know, another doctor? Right. So he was pitching uh, Frankenhooker to Jim Glickenhouse. Okay. And when Frank, tells, when Frank is into it and tells you the story of a film, yeah. you, see, you see it. You right. get everything. He's right. very good at that. Yes. So... Jim said, 
that's fantastic. We'll do it. What else have you got? Right. And of course, when Frank does this, he puts out a lot of energy into the sure. telling of it. Yeah, he's he's selling it. He was done. Yeah. You know, so the only thing he could think of to blurt out was basket case two. Oh. And Jim said, "Yeah, great. Well, let's do it." So suddenly he was committed back to, to the drawing board. These two films back to back. Oh my God. At a pier, uh, Lower Manhattan on the West River. Yes. Opposite the UPS building. Okay. At a pier forty something. Okay. We took over that. They took over that for I don't know months. Right. And built the sets there. Wow. And that was that. Yeah. Two sequels and a small part in Brain Damage. Well, your basket. What what Frank had wanted to do with that is have both casts cross. Gotcha. So that uh, James and his little friend would be in. I guess it would have been Basket Case Three. Right. But the SAG rules say that once you start an actor, you have to pay them continuously, so that eliminated that right. other half of the cross. I got you. But oh, that would have been cool. That would have been crazy. Uh-huh. Oh, my See, God. See, that's the kind of genius of Frank. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the, here's another story for you. For the, for the filmmakers out there. Right. Um, so you have the basket, the lid gets open, and Belial jumps out at you. Right. How do you shoot that? So, Frank's solution, and this is where Frank is a genius. You have an A-frame ladder. Yes. The camera is hanging upside down from the A-frame. Okay. We film Belial from the finish position. Ah. Goes into the basket, and the lid slams down. You flop the film and run it in reverse. Wow. Look at that. That is the genius of Frank Hennon. So now, so now I'm going to watch Bass's case. And now I'm going to know these little secrets, but that's awesome. Very cool. I'm going to pause this for a second. Yep. All right, we're back, because I don't want to, you know, take away from... Uh, we're back. What's, ...what's going on over here. So, uh... Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to re-watch that movie, and now I'm going to know all the little secrets. Mm-hmm. But that's all good, because it's one of my favorites. Do you have? Are you, do you do any more acting work now? or you I do occasionally get invited to do parts and films. Okay. Uh, one of my personal favorites is um, Kamal Ahmed, uh, who is one half of the Jerky, Jerky Boys. Boys. Yes. Did a film called Raptorious. Okay. Joe Bob Briggs is in it. Debbie Wilson. Awesome. Awesome. I only have a small part, but okay. it's a great film. Yeah, I gotta check it out. I have, uh, I have a small part in Gregory Lamberson's Dry Bones. Really? And Gregory was on the crew in one of the Basket Case films. And I'm sorry, Greg, I don't remember which one it was. Awesome. That's great, though, man. And so your, your main thing right now is, you, is your stone car. The sculpture, yep. That's crazy. Yep. I teach a free class up in the mountains. Called the Hunter's Stone Carving Seminar. Um, Do you want the address and a website? Or, and well, my website is again www.kevinvanh.com. Um, you can reach me on Facebook. The class this year, 2020, is July 20th through August 1st. Uh, it's a free stone carving class, a free professional stone carving class. We supply everything except personal safety gear. You can come for five minutes, an hour, an afternoon. I have some students who come for the whole class, who have come for the whole class for years. Really? I have some students that are in their eighth, ninth year. Nice. 
the site where we do the class has 21 blocks of bluestone, wow. ranging from 500 pounds to 12 tons. Wow. There are over 250 sculptures on permanent public display. Wow. The town of Hunter, New York, on the mountaintop. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So, do you have an Instagram account or no? No. Okay. Facebook. Um, no. Do you have? Do you run hotelbroslin.com? No, that's somebody that Frank knows. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was wondering if, if you were affiliated with that or if you ran that or not. I, I've talked okay. to them. I don't know. It's a Frank project. Okay. That's cool. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, so yeah, man. Well, this was really cool, and I'm glad that you gave me the time because I, I hit you up on Facebook, and you were like, "Yeah, sure." So, and I'm not going to take up all of your time, but yeah, I just wanted yeah. a few minutes and just bullshit and have a quick conversation and see what was going on and talk a little bit about you know you and your parasitic twin. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. My pleasure. Anytime. And we're over here now.